Our values are on the ballot. Make no mistake about it. We're going to be running against Trump. What we saw here today was a rejection of those that want to take us to a place like another New York, another Chicago. Face off the candidates for Miami-Dade mayor, the winner facing unprecedented challenge. Never defund the police department. Look, I'm ready for anything. The mayor's race in its final phase. The candidates debate here live. I'm planning on a 75% turnout in November. Voting is underway. Completed ballots already coming in. We have around 120,000 more ballots that we're mailing out today in the initial run um, than we have in entire elections in the past. I don't wear masks like him. Every time you see him, he's got a mask. He could be speaking 200 feet away from it. He shows up with the biggest mask I've ever seen. What goes round comes round. The president has COVID. What does that mean for the election in Florida? I feel much better now. We're working hard to get me all the way back. It's all this week, this week in South Florida. Good morning. Great to be with you. I'm Glenna Milberg. I'm Michael Putney. Glad you could join us. We have got so much on our plate this morning, including a debate between the candidates for Miami-Dade mayor. But first, to the president coming down with COVID-19, what a grim irony. The president who mocked Joe Biden for always wearing a mask and who campaigned at big rallies without one now being treated for COVID-19 in Washington. In a video from the Walter Reed Medical Center, the president, who looks pretty good here, says he's doing well, but he is at high risk because of his age and weight. The facts and the details of the president's treatment and condition are now the focus of a nation. A briefing is now scheduled any minute at Walter Reed Medical Center, and that, as you see, is where Local 10's Ross Palumbo is live with us from Bethesda. Ross, good morning. Boy, what a, what a difference a minute makes. That's right. The president's doctor will be coming out here at the base of the tower behind me at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center to update us on the president's condition. This after that disastrous press conference yesterday where we couldn't even get the president's vital signs. Now, as for the president's condition this morning, it really depends on who you ask. We've gotten a lot of conflicting information. Let's begin with the president's own words coming from his hospital room just last night. I came here, wasn't feeling so well. I feel much better now. You don't know over the next period of a few days, I guess that's the real test. So we'll be seeing what happens over those next, co next couple of days. Well, the president not wearing a mask in that video or in these White House photos, despite having to have someone near him in order to take them, and that is drawing criticism this morning from Democrats. His own chief of staff, Mark Meadows, last night on Fox, painting a much more serious picture after saying there were serious concerns on Friday. We now know that the president was running a fever, had a cough, and had some breathing difficulty. He was given oxygen as well before getting on Marine One and departing the White House. Yesterday morning, we were we were real concerned with that. You know, he had a, a fever and uh, his blood oxygen level had dropped uh, rapidly. And then we'll pull out and I'll walk in. Well, that assessment at odds with the president's own doctor who painted a more positive picture and refused to uh, release basic information like the president's vital signs and refused to confirm the president was, in fact, on oxygen at some point. Listen to medical doctor Sean Connolly suddenly sounding like spin doctor Sean Connolly. This morning, the president is doing very well. It's important to note the president's been fever free for over 24 hours. 
Uh, we remain cautiously optimistic, um, but he's doing great. Do you have an estimated date when he might be discharged? Uh, well, I don't want to put a hard date on that. What was his fever when he had one, sir? Uh, I'd rather not give any specific numbers. Has there Has been any sign of damage? Sir? I'm not going to go into specifics of what the findings of any of that are. So there you have it, very little information, and what information there is out there is very contradictory. It's all created a crisis of credibility here, and in this live picture, you can see the White House pool is gathering right there at the front door of Walter Reed. We're expecting that same doctor, Sean Connolly, to come out with his team at any moment, and as soon as that briefing starts, of course, we'll bring you all the details. For now, though, that is the very latest live from Walter Reed. I'm Ross Palumbo. Back to you. All right, Ross, thanks. We are standing by with you for that update. And now we want to get to our live debate between the candidates for Miami-Dade mayor. The next mayor of Miami-Dade will be one of the two current county commissioners who got into the runoff. And for this nonpartisan position, Steve Bovo and Daniela Levine-Cava come from completely opposite ends of the political spectrum, vying to become chief executive officer of a government with a $9 billion budget and some 27,000 employees. Daniela Levine-Cava is a county commissioner from South Miami-Dade, a lawyer with a background in social work as a social work executor. Uh, she is with us right now live, and we are expecting Commissioner Steve Bovo to tune in on the Skype box any minute. Apparently, he's just getting back from church, so that's a good reason to be a little late. Good morning, Commish. Yeah, commissioner Levine-Cava, good morning. Great to see you. Good morning. Good morning to, to uh, you both, and we're, of course, here praying for the president. Uh, Indeed, we are. Uh, Commissioner, while we wait for your opponent to arrive, let me just say that we obviously are doing this virtually. Wish you could be in the studio. Simply not possible. What we are looking for here is a good, robust discussion. To that end, Glenna and I are going to ask you and Commissioner Bobo questions. Please answer as succinctly as you can, and you are welcome to rebut your opponent's an answers if you choose to. We'll do our best to see that everybody gets equal time here. The goal is a freewheeling, informative discussion. Uh, Commissioner Covert, let me begin by simply asking you about funding and defunding police. This has been a key element, component uh, of this campaign. You voted for the budget, which in fact increases the Miami-Dade Police Department budget by about 1%, but your opponent has implicitly said you want to defund police. Please address that. Thank you for asking, Michael. I am really perplexed why he continues with this line, even though it's clearly not factual. I never voted to defund police. I didn't vote to take money out of the police budget for the independent civilian panel. Quite to the contrary, we have it in the budget as a separate item. I never voted to take it out of the police budget. In fact, I've supported increases to the police budget every year I've been on the commission and lobbied for more funding for more police in South Dade, for a new police district station in South Dade, more community policing, more specialized police. And uh, Friday, I had the extraordinary opportunity to sit with the head of our police training bureau and others to learn of the very innovative, groundbreaking, really nationally, um, recognizable, and I hope we will take it nationally, uh, training that they have that helps people train 
to just do the very best they can in these very difficult, heightened tension situations. So our police have done a great job, and I stand with them. You know, uh, Commissioner, we've, we've actually talked about this before. The term defund the police that's kind of bubbled up uh, in the last couple of months with a renewed focus on social justice is, is really a misnomer because it's really about moving money into more front ends, uh, social justice, mental health programs, uh, things like that, which I know you and I know Commissioner Bovo in some respects, depending on the program, do support. And along the same criminal justice vein, some of the uh, groups that you heard during budget negotiations, some of the social justice groups, are so against the county spending $400 million on a new jail rather than a way to lower the inmate population. I wonder if you could speak to that. Thanks. Uh, you know, we've done a great job as well reducing our jail population. Uh, and, you know, kudos to our director, who is also the chair of the uh, law enforcement group for the county. We've been able to use civil citations, um, uh, reduce in some cases uh, cash bail. But the, the main thing is that we could still do more. Obviously, COVID has pushed us uh, to make sure that we are not exposing people needlessly to risk of being in uh, tight quarters. But we do have a jail, the downtown detention facility, that is neglectful, it is uh, inhumane. It's been cited by the federal government, it has to go. Uh, but I believe that we can continue to reduce our jail population. There are people languishing in jail, waiting for trial for years. Those are people that need to go to trial, and if they're found guilty, they need to go to state prison, not stay in our jails. There are people in jail because they can't pay fines and fees. In some cases, they're being picked up without even realizing that they are delinquent to the point of losing their licenses, and right. so we can do more. Daniela, can, I'm, I beg your pardon. Let's interrupt you if we can just for a minute because uh, President Trump's doctors are about to give us a briefing in Bethesda. Let's listen in. Morning. Since we spoke last, President has continued to improve. As with any illness, there are frequent ups and downs over the course, particularly when a patient is being so closely watched 24 hours a day. We review and debate every finding compared to existing science and literature weighing the risks and benefits of every intervention, its timing, as, any, as well as any potential impacts a delay may have. Over the course of his illness, the President has experienced two episodes of transient drops in his oxygen saturation. We debated the reasons for this and whether we'd even intervene. It was a determination of the team, based predominantly on the timeline from the initial diagnosis, that we initiate dexamethasone. I'd like to take this opportunity now given some speculation over the course of the illness uh, the last couple of days, uh, update you on the course of his, his own illness. Thursday night into Friday morning when I left the bedside, the president was doing well with only mild symptoms and his oxygen was in the high 90s. Late Friday morning when I returned to the bedside, the president had a high fever and his oxy oxygen saturation was transiently dipping below 94%. Given these two developments, I was concerned for possible rapid progression of the illness. I recommended the president we try some supplemental oxygen, see how he'd respond. He was fairly adamant that he didn't need it. He was not short of breath. He was tired, had the fever, and that was about it. And after about a minute, on only two liters, his saturation levels were back over, 40, over 95%. Stayed on that for about an hour, maybe, and it was off and gone. 
Later that day, by the time the team here was at the bedside, the president had been up out of bed, moving about the residence with only mild symptoms. Despite this, everyone agreed the best course of action was to move to Walter Reed for a more thorough evaluation and monitoring. Now I'd like to invite up Dr. Dooley to discuss the current plan. Thank you, Dr. Conley. Um, before I begin a, a brief clinical update on the president's condition, I do want to reiterate my comments from yesterday regarding the, uh, how proud I am to be a part of this multidisciplinary, multi-institutional team of uh, clinical professionals behind me and what an honor it is to care for the president uh, here at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Regarding his clinical status, the patient uh, continues to improve. Uh, he has remained without fever uh, since Friday morning. His vital signs are stable. Uh, from a pulmonary standpoint, he remains on room air this morning uh, and is not complaining of shortness of breath or other significant respiratory symptoms. He's ambulating uh, himself, walking around the White House Medical Unit without uh, limitation or disability. Our continued monitoring of his cardiac, uh, liver, and kidney function uh, demonstrates continued normal findings or improving findings. Um, so, and I'll, I'll now turn it over to, uh, to Dr. Garibaldi uh, from Johns Hopkins to talk about our therapeutics and, again, our plan for the day. Thank you, Dr. Julian. I just wanted to, again, reiterate what an honor and a privilege it is to take care of the president, but to be part of such a talented and multidisciplinary team here at, at Walter Reed. Uh, the president yesterday evening completed his second dose of remdesivir. Uh, he's tolerated that infusion well. We've been monitoring for any potential side effects, uh, and he has had none that we can tell. His liver and kidney function have remained normal, um, and we continue uh, to plan to use a five-day course of remdesivir. In response to transient uh, low oxygen levels, as Dr. Conley has discussed, we did initiate dexamethasone therapy, and he received his first dose of that yesterday and our plan is to continue that for the time being. Um, today he feels well, he's been up and around. Our plan for today is to have him to eat and drink, uh, be up out of bed as much as possible to be mobile. And if he continues to look and, and feel as well as he does today, our hope is that we can plan for a discharge as early as tomorrow to the White House where he can continue his treatment course. Thank you very much and I'll turn it over to Dr. Connolly for any questions. Dr. Connolly? Just a moment, please. The President wanted me to share how proud he is of the group, what an honor it is for him to be receiving his care here at Walter Reed, surrounded by such incredible talent, academic leaders, department chairs, internationally renowned researchers and clinicians, including the support of Dr. Garibaldi from Johns Hopkins. Um, I'd like to reiterate how pleased we all are with the President's recovery, and with that I'll take your question. Dr. Conley, you said that there were two instances where he had drops in oxygen. Can you walk us through the second one? And also, I've got a question for the lung specialist afterwards. Sure. Yeah, yeah yesterday, uh, there was another episode where he dropped down about 93%. Um, he doesn't ever feel short of breath. Uh, we watched it, um, and it, it returned back up. Um, as I said, we, we evaluate all of these, and given the timeline where he is in the, the course of illness, you know, we, we are trying to maximize everything uh, that we could do for him, and we debated whether we'd even start it, uh, the dexamethasone, and we decided that uh, in this case, the potential benefits early on the course probably outweighed any risks at this time. Did, did you give him a second round of supplemental oxygen yesterday? 
I'd have to I'd have to check with the nursing staff. Uh, um, I don't think that if he did, it was very very limited, uh, but he's not on oxygen, um, and, and the only oxygen that, that I ordered or that we provided was uh, that Friday morning initially. And about what time was that yesterday? Uh, yesterday. What was yesterday? You said the second instance. Second ins incidents. Oh, it was over the course of the day. Yeah. Yesterday morning. Dr. Conley. Dr. Conley. The president's current uh, blood oxygen level. That's my first question to you, Dr. Conley. 98%. And what, what do the uh, x-rays and CT scans show? Are there signs of pneumonia? Are there signs of lung involvement uh, or any damage to the lungs? Yeah, so we're tracking all of that. Um, there's some expected findings, but nothing of uh, any major clinical concern. Then why start him, Dr. Conley, on the expected findings? Dr. Conley, why start? ask if his oxygen ever, ever dipped below 90? Uh, we don't have any recordings here of that. That's right. The de on the dextromethasone, Dr. Conley? Yeah, what about here? What At the White House or here, anything below 90, just to follow up on her question? Uh, no, it was below 94%. It, was, it wasn't down in the low 80s or anything. No. So, okay. So on the dextromethasone, the, yeah. the steroids, sir, on the lung function? you told us that the president was in great shape, had been in good shape and fever-free for the previous 24 hours. Minutes after your press conference, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows told reporters that the president's vitals were very concerning over the past 24 hours. Simple question for the American people. Whose statements about the president's health should be believed? So uh, the chief and I work side by side, and uh, I think his statement was misconstrued. What he meant was that uh, 24 hours ago, when uh, he and I were or checking on the president, that there was that momentary episode of the high fever and, and that temporary drop uh, in the saturation, which prompted us to act uh, you know, expediently to move him up here. Fortunately, that was really a very transient, limited episode. Uh, a couple hours later, he was back up, uh, mild again. Um, you know, we could, I'm not going to speculate what that uh, that limited episode was about so early in the course, but. Uh, He's doing well. What are the expected findings on his lungs, and why is the president not wearing a mask in the videos and photos that have been released? Well, the, the president uh, wears a mask anytime he's he's around us, and we're all wearing our uh, N95s, uh, full PPE. Um, he's he's the patient, and when we can, uh, when he'll move out into uh, to public, we move him about out and around other people that aren't in full PPE. Uh, I assure you, he'll uh, as long as he's uh, still under my care, uh, we'll talk about him wearing a mask. And he's in a negative pressure room. And the room is negative pressure. Uh, I'm not going to get into the specifics of uh, his care. And can you answer the questions on the lung function? The lung function question, Dr. Conley? I'm sorry? The lung function question. Can you talk about that and what these expectations are? I would just share that, uh, like every patient, we perform lung in, uh, spirometry on him. And uh, he's maxing it out. We told him, uh, see what you can do. And it's over 2,500 uh, milliliters each time. Um, He's, he's doing great, yeah. But are your scans showing any irregularities in his lungs? Are there any obesities? Are there anything? To disclose that the president had been administered oxygen. Uh, it's a good question. Thank so you. I was trying to reflect the, the, uh, the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. Um, didn't want to give uh, any uh, any information that might uh, steer the uh, the course of illness in another direction, um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off uh, that we were trying to hide something, which wasn't necessarily true. Um, and uh, so have, here I have it. He's he is the the fact of the matter is is that he's doing really well. 
that he is he is uh, responding. And as the team said, uh, if everything continues to go well, we're going to start uh, discharge planning back to the White House. That's it. Thank you, folks. Dr. Conley, on his lung scans. This is again. You did this yesterday. Can you please explain? You have been watching the team of doctors at Bethesda's Walter Reed Medical Center who are taking care of the president. Uh, we continue to hear them put a very positive spin on the recovery that the president is making, but we did learn a few things about why they even decided to take him to Walter Reed, and that when he was in the White House on Thursday, he did have two episodes of low oxygen. Uh, sounds like he himself, the president, decided he didn't want uh, emergency care. The doctors won out. They took him to Walter Reed, where he has been since then. Uh, they said he has been doing very well. He is maxing out his lung test. Uh, but you heard the doctor, Sean Connolly, right there also say that they, uh, in fact, are trying to take the president's cue and make this a very upbeat uh, kind of prognosis. And you heard a team of reporters continually trying to get details that have been uh, not only short factually since the president announced he was COVID positive, uh, but of course, that is something that the nation is watching. Right now, we're going to go to break and we will be right back with our Miami-Dade mayoral debate. I'm on TV. It opens at one. Welcome back to our debate now between the candidates for Miami-Dade Mayor Esteban Steve Bobo, who is joining us live from his home. Commissioner Bobo, glad to have you with us, and Commissioner Daniela Levine-Cava. Uh, Commissioner Bobo, uh, I said at the outset, and Glenna said, this is really a kind of a freewheeling discussion rather than a formal uh, debate, so feel free to weigh in if you hear Commissioner Levine Kava say something that you want to disagree with, you are free to do so. Let's go back to something you missed. Uh, we were asking uh, the commissioner, your opponent, uh, whether she supports defunding police. She emphatically says she does not. Uh, but you have implied both in a debate last night and other forums that, uh, that you don't believe she is a strong believer in fully funding belief. What is your police? What is your belief for that? Well, July uh, July 8th, the, we had a memo that was issued by uh, our deputy mayor, Mayor Kemp, and the proposal that was on the table at that moment literally called for a 1% uh, removal of the police budget. That equated to $7.59 million. And uh, in essence, uh, Commissioner Kawa voted on this, uh, on this ordinance on three separate occasions, not only on the first reading, on second reading, but when the mayor vetoed it, she voted against the mayor's veto. So it's, it's clear to me that uh, not only does she feel strongly, this uh, radical um, agenda of uh, defunding our police, closing our prisons. I mean, this is a real talk in our community from an extreme group of people that would like to see Miami-Dade County transformed literally into uh, another one of these can major... I, can I just put yeah. some, I just want to put some context on that. That wasn't a, a memo yeah. to defund the police. That was a memo to take a portion of the police budget to no, fund the even. civilian investigation panel. Daniela, uh, excuse me. That was a memo that was never even voted upon. Not voted upon. Can I just say on, on Skype, only one person can talk at a time to really okay. be able to hear. So, Steve, hold on. Let Daniela respond here, please. Thank you. So that was a memo. It was never voted upon. 
Uh, it was not a, a, a recommendation. And the vote was to have an independent source of funding, not to take it from the police. I never voted to take the funds from the police, and I never would have voted. That memo was simply a memo not voted on, and Commissioner Jordan, who was the sponsor, made it very clear from the outset her ordinance would not take money from the police. I think, uh, again, we could, we could gloss over the facts. So the, the reality is this. She co-sponsored the ordinance. The ordinance is very, very clear what it states. A $7.59 million removal. She voted for it twice. She voted for it when the mayor vetoed the item. And this is a pattern, a pattern where she's not about security and safety. In fact, she participated in demonstrations where they were condemning the police department, so much so that the police department had to issue a letter asking her to please apologize for the content right, of her social media. Let's oh, get okay. Commissioner By Levine Cava. Okay. Hold, hold, hold on. Okay. We get Commissioner Thank Bobo. You. We get your point. Uh, okay. Commissioner Levine Cava, go ahead and respond to that. Yeah, please. well, first of all, by his very words, he said it was a memo, not an ordinance. So he is confusing the public. I never voted to defund the police. Every year I've increased the funding. The record is clear. He, he has nothing to show for this. He is creating, trying to create fear. He is trying to intimidate uh, people to thinking that my clear record of supporting public safety is not the reality to confuse people because in 2014, he actually voted to defund police. He voted to eliminate uh, from the budget enough for 80 positions plus to force the police department to pay out of their salaries more for their health insurance. Those are not my votes. Those are his votes. I never voted to defund the police and I never I was clear. I will not do right. so. Can I just put that well, into context as well? That two, uh, 2014 vote, that was actually Mayor Jimenez's budget facing a shortfall and that was part of what he wanted to cut in his budget. Steve? The, real, the reality is, uh, Glenna, that we're in 2020. In 2020, the PBA, the South Florida PBA, and the FOP, this is all the police organizations in South Florida, are supporting my campaign because of her anti-police stance in this election. It's plain and simple. In 2014, what we did was save police jobs. That's what we ended up doing, saving police jobs, because when we craft a budget, we need to live within the reality of what the people in our community can afford. You know, it is radical when you start voting for taxes when she's raised taxes on five times. It is radical when you start impeding every transportation project to grow our community. That's radical. Voting to defund the police is radical. You know, she has to own it, but it's okay. You know, she could walk away from it at this point. The reality is people understand in our community. At our last budget hearing, 255 people, her supporters, were calling for a 10% reduction, 10% reduction of our police department, which would have yeah, waited I, even I, 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 okay. Yeah, Steve, I don't know who her people are, but Commissioner Levine Cava, why don't you respond to that? Well, first of all, it's Commissioner Bovo, who cut... Uh, who, who raised taxes 2.2 billion in the state legislature in 20, in 2009? That was on middle class struggling families. More money they had to pay for driver's license fees. More money to take their families to the parks. That was the tax increase. I voted consistently to increase the police budget, never to take it out of the ICP. This is smoke and mirrors. 
and I I'm the one who visited the police department on Friday to learn about their state-of-the-art training and how incredible it is what they're doing to make sure that our police respond appropriately uh, to situations like that when I walked after the murder of George Floyd with faith leaders with elected leaders with police by our side we marched that was part of a national a national conversation about race and equity a new aspect of our civil rights movement okay so to do we, with not supporting police we are we have a lot to talk about about money and budget we do need to make our own money take a quick break so stay tuned we'll be right back <laughs> With a spirited conversation between the candidates for Miami-Dade mayor, both commissioners, Steve Bobo, Daniela Levine-Cava, want to start with a question uh, this segment about the budget. You, sitting on the Miami-Dade Commission, you passed next year's budget $9 billion worth. Uh, there are no service cuts. There are no layoffs. There are no property taxes that you both promised not to raise. Uh, this budget only works in this really difficult COVID year because of a billion dollars in federal relief money. So I'd like to hear from both of you going forward how that math is going to work. Steve Bovo, why don't you take that first? Yeah, it's going to take a lot of discipline. It's going to require that the county budget over the next couple of years has to reflect what the taxpayer is going to be able to afford. We don't know what the tail end of COVID is going to do to property values. The, all the assumptions are that we're going to take a hit, uh, plus the fact that we've had a severe hit to many businesses. So we're going to compound the problem by what government did, to be perfectly honest with you, where many businesses had to close, many folks found themselves unemployed. And in our tourist industry, you know, we need to, we're going to need to work, quite honestly, with our tourism industry to make sure that we could promote and advertise that Miami-Dade is back in business. You know, I represent pe people in my community that have not worked for seven months. And this is going to be a, a, a severe challenge, to be perfectly honest with you. So the next mayor is going to have to make a commitment to that taxpayer that we're going to live within what they could afford to pay. And there's the crust of my campaign to make sure that we fulfill the core mission of what taxpayers expect out of their county. And that's going to be very difficult to do, but if they so expect- So to be clear, does that, does, that mean, does that mean layoffs and service cuts under what might be your administration? Glenna, you know, that's the age old conversation. It's always, you know, either raise taxes or cut services. The reality is, why don't we uh, realign what government is supposed to do, what local government is supposed to do? Let's not turn our government into the Washington DC model. Let's tame our government and what it does, fulfill the services that residents expect, the ones that pay the bills. And if we could do that, I'm telling you, there's no need to get into this dance of either raise taxes or cut services. Daniela Levine-Cava, could you take that question? Sure. Well, we are going to have to have a, a difficult year of conversation, both inside government. How do we create efficiencies? And I have a lot of good ideas and people that are ready to work with me to make sure that we can maintain services by creating uh, economies of scale, uh, departments that uh, work together more efficiently, not only the county, but with the cities. We do have duplicating uh, infrastructure, but we need uh, to, to work together with the community to see what the priorities are. And those priorities include pulling us out of this economic slump. Government is always a critical player when it comes to recovering from a recession. We do need more federal money to build infrastructure. Infrastructure will build good jobs uh, for us. Those are skilled jobs, they pay well. And our tourism industry, I'll be the cheerleader number one uh, to bring it back, showing that we are 
uh, safe and taking all the precautions here because under my watch we will. And um, uh, so we're going to need that federal infusion to, con to continue the half billion we've gotten from CARES we've used to great assist for our small businesses, for our veterans, for our arts and culture and nonprofits, and our hospitality industry all have benefited. But at the end of the day, yes, we're going to have to prioritize. We're going to have to have serious conversations with the public about how they see this government moving forward. Yeah. And uh, hopefully Commissioner through Kava, those methods. You know, mm -hmm. Commissioner Levinka, excuse me for interrupting, but you, you know, the bottom line here when it comes to government spending is that I'm going to put it in very blunt terms. Commissioner Bobo is inferring for the last several weeks that you are just a bleeding heart liberal who is going to take hard-earned taxpayers' money and waste it on unproven social programs that aren't needed. What's your response to that? Well, that's pretty pretty big accusation. I'm a tried and true social service uh, director. I've created um, dozens of organizations, created hundreds and hundreds of jobs, lived within my budget for uh, for the nonprofits that I've created, which is, you know, definitely challenged. We can't, we can't write money here. We can't print money. So we have to live within our means. I've pledged not to raise taxes. Clearly, our, our community is going to be suffering. And, and you know what? We can't leave our people out to dry. People are facing evictions soon. They are facing mortgage foreclosure. Businesses have shuttered. It's incumbent upon us to be more innovative, more creative, to bring the private sector to the table to match what government is doing so that we can all pull out of this together. All right, Commissioner Bobo, in about 30 seconds, if I mischaracterized your position, tell me or what is your position on the kind of spending uh, your opponent favors, you believe? Well, really, the explanation is uh, it's, it's very radical in ideas where you start taking the taxpayer's dollars and spending it in areas that doesn't benefit the taxpayer. You know, the reality is she's described in many instances all these programs that she's going to she's going to create. She doesn't tell us how she's going to pay for it, because ultimately those are going to lead to tax increases where she has voted in our budget before to have tax increases repeatedly. And I will tell you, she you know she mentions federal dollars. You know, we're getting federal dollars for the South Corridor to help us with our transit program down there. She voted against it. She votes against these programs because they don't fit her narrative. And, and quite honestly, because it wasn't her idea. And really, she hasn't led on any of these ideas that we've been talking oh, about. Okay. She's on, very okay. social. Okay. On, on that point, I, again, I beg your pardon. But we'll gonna, we're going to get to transit and other related issues. But let's take a break. We'll be back more with the candidates for Miami-Dade Mayor in a minute. We are back with the candidates for Miami-Dade Mayor. Steve Bowell, I want to uh, start with you and then Daniela Levine-Cava for a COVID question. You both have had, uh, over the past couple of months, very different philosophies on how to handle safety versus economics in the closings and gradual reopenings in the county, uh, the Mayor Jimenez's plan. The last 72 hours have been a game changer for a lot of people as we watch the president uh, deal with COVID, having been at what appears to be now some super spreader events at the White House over the weekend. And now this morning, Miami Beach's mayor is asking Governor DeSantis to rethink his order last week to take away local control over COVID enforcement. Um, Steve Bovo, you have been one to really want to open as much as possible, as soon as possible. Have you rethought this now? Uh, Glenn, I've been saying to open responsibly, and I think that's the key. I've said it over and over again, where I think we have failed is that we should have been enforcing before start mass closings, 
the mask wearing and the social distancing. You know, we've gone into many small businesses and have wrecked havoc. These are mom and pop operations that, you know, literally, uh, you know, the family depends on. This is the mom and pop operation where mom and dad don't take a paycheck in order to pay contractors many times. And I lived, I grew up in a, in a system like that with my parents. And I would tell you, it's wrecked a lot of havoc. Now, if we could work together with our municipalities, if we could collaborate to give the same message across the board, which that has not happened from the very beginning in Miami-Dade County. But look, we have done not only testing sites early on when I when this started happening, we started working with healthcare and educators and business leaders on how we could open uh, safely. And I believe that we, uh, county government, has overreacted in many instances. You know, if we talk to them, create the, the parameters that they could keep their clients and their employees safe, then we could hold them to it and then we could start opening. You know, I will tell you though, I don't like the state interfering in what we should be able to do locally. We should, it should be left to us, but it should be left to us to work with businesses, small mom and pops and other uh, business leaders and other cities in our community so that we're all uniform in our approach here at the county. Yeah. Commissioner Levine Cava, you have said on the subject of COVID-19 when you criticize some things that Mayor Carlos Jimenez has done, that you would appoint a chief medical officer to consult with and to help make policy. But uh, what's the difference? You know, Mayor Jimenez has depended on Dr. Eileen Marty, Dr. Lillian Abdo, and a kind of a ad hoc advisory panel. It's not as if he hasn't had good medical advice. Well, let's start with uh, March. We had advice from the White House what to do. We were not getting medical advice at that time. And we were not following the directions from the CDC or the White House about the need for extensive testing, contact tracing, and isolation for those who could not safely isolate at home. And my opponent gave the mayor a pass. I was diligently finding out what we needed to do. Of course, I'm married to a physician, and that helps. But I talked to many experts. I read everything I could on the subject. And uh, by the way, when we did bring in some medical advice, uh, fortunately we did, um, was not always followed. So the bottom line is the state did not go forward with what it was obligated to do for the tracing. And uh, I pushed and pushed and finally, finally uh, in June, I think we finally had the county putting some money into the pot so we could do some contact tracing. But this, this was too little, too late. And then we opened up too soon. You know, it's false economy to say that we can open up without having the proper public health infrastructure. We did not have uh, adequate access to testing or, or tracing or isolation, as I've said, really until the summer. So uh, that, that was my concern. So as we move forward, this virus is still with us. I'm sure uh, after November 3rd, unfortunately, it will still be with us. We're looking forward to a vaccine. We, we hope it will be effective and safe and then we can push forward to to take advantage of that but we are going to need to have medical advice by my side uh, chief medical officer making sure that we are doing everything in our power to not give false hope to the public or to our businesses the businesses have done everything okay. they've been we, asked to we, do we get your excuse yeah. me we get your point uh, all right, hold on, everybody. We're going to come back. We have more questions for candidates for Miami-Dade mayor after a break. We are in the midst of a very lively discussion with the candidates for Miami-Dade mayor, Steve Bobo, Daniela Levine-Cava. Uh, Daniela, let me ask you, I want both your answers, but Daniela, let's begin with the fact that Biscayne Bay 
is in serious trouble. Uh, we had a huge fish kill just a few weeks ago. Now, this has been studied for years. We know what the answer is, and yet the actions have not been taken, including uh, taking houses off septic lines, putting them on sewers. What is your answer here? What would you do? We definitely need to take our cue from Monroe County that converted all septic to sewer. It's phenomenally expensive. And so we have to have a plan. What is the most urgent conversion to happen first, second, and third? And I pushed for that. I'm waiting for that report from the mayor's office. It's been delayed along with my report card that I requested on the state of the bay, two years delayed. So as mayor, we're gonna have all that information. I've already been briefed. There's about 300 homes that are the ones that are the most vulnerable and closest to connection. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna push with those. And there's about another 1,200 that uh, if we build the laterals, which we can do, those are the lines from the main that bring it up the street, we can use the dollars that are in the Water and Sewer Department Fund today and have not been used for that purpose. So we've right, been let me, let me prioritizing stop you right other there things. In our, yes. I, I'm sorry, in our limited times, T. Bobo, what about that? Fees from the Water and Sewer Department, which is trying to rebuild its system, should some of that money go to getting people uh, off septic tanks and onto sewer lines? In order for us to be able to accomplish the goal of getting properties off a septic tank, we're going to need uh, state, even possible federal help on this. Uh, the state had a bill which I supported, uh, Representative Avila and Senator Diaz, that would help move tourist dollars into this space so that we could work exactly to get those connections closer to the people's homes. It's the most expensive part is actually getting the line. You're talking 30, 40, $50,000 per home. Now the connectivity, I believe the Y Green program could be uh, a path in order for us to connect homes, which would allow uh, homeowners to spread out the payments. And I think these are, are, are good ways of us being able to address it. But when you're talking about a $3 billion impact, that is, that is severe for a lot of the homeowners and property owners that are gonna be faced with this connectivity. But make no mistake, this is something that we can't continue to ignore. We gotta address this issue. You know, water is a lifeline for us in many uh, in many aspects, you know, but that bay produces a lot of economy. As you can see, all the development along the bay, just like our beaches, produce a lot of economy, Everglades also. So in this space, we need, this is an obligation, I think, for a future generation. We need to have a serious conversation, be transparent in that conversation, but we're gonna have to get this done and it has to be maybe over a 15 to 25 year period. And, you know, and the, I, uh, I would, uh, love to go on. Daniela, I am so sorry. I just want to let you both know that because of the events of the day and the live uh, update we got in Bethesda today, we are out of time. So many county issues left to discuss. But I do want to say that the two of you of candidates have been very gracious with your time and have appeared in so many forums and so many debates. And I think voters really yeah. appreciate that yeah, about you both. Yeah, more power to you. Thank you very much. And thanks for being with us this morning on This Week in South Florida. Yeah. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Before we leave you today, an important reminder, if you are not yet registered to vote, it is not too late to register. The deadline is tomorrow. That's Monday night at midnight. And the most convenient way is right there online. Just go to our website, local10.com, for everything you need to know. We'll get you right there. Or if you like, you can head over to Miami Dades or Broward's or Monroe County's election sites as well. It only takes a few minutes to do. We urge you to register and vote. And as always, stay informed, get involved. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a beautiful Sunday.